Well, good morning, church. Everyone comfortable this morning? Enjoying the new chairs? Yeah, yeah, praise God. We can do that. (laughs) Why not? I hope you are uh, enjoying uh, the new chairs. Thank you again to all those who gave. Uh, what you, I know what you see are these nice and beautiful chairs. What you may not see is that we installed buzzers under each one. So if we see you falling asleep, I can like cue like B12 and wake you up. Uh, just kidding. We did not do that. But that would be a great idea. There's probably an app for that. I'm going to do that. Hey, uh, this morning, uh, so glad that you're in the house. I know we've got a lot of people coming and going as summer uh, continues. And I know it's, uh, it's really good for me as I stand up here to see a lot of your faces, some of you who have been traveling or who are back now. And I know we have many of our people who continue to travel this summer. Just to catch you up, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a real simple idea from the story of Moses about what it means to, uh, for us as, a, as the people of God, for us as people who claim to know and follow Jesus, to simply do good and be brave. This idea that if we believe what we say we believe, it literally changes everything. That if God is who he says he is and we believe Jesus did what he said he did and is who he says he is, then we should truly, should we not, be people that have absolutely no fear in this world because we know God. Amen? Okay, if you can't get excited about that, I'm done. (laughs) Amen? I mean, we believe Jesus came, died, rose from the grave. He, he, he wandered the planet for like 40 more days, was seen by over 500 people, and then he, he ascended to heaven and he reigns there and he reigns in our hearts and, and we follow him. And like we can talk to him and we sing these songs and he hears them and he, we believe he's here in this place and that's what excites us and that's what, that, that, that is what gives us courage. And, and I hope that it gives you courage today as we gather in his name to worship, to proclaim that he is who he says he is. I think part of our problem, if I'm just being real honest, if I can just start there today, is for a lot of us, what we're caught up in, though, is not following Jesus. We want to do that. We think it's a great idea. We're for it. But honestly, if you and I were to sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about it, probably what you're worried about, what I worry about, is that age-old question, right? You know, if I died today, if Jesus came back tomorrow... Would I go to heaven? Would I get in? Would my kids get in? How about my grandkids? Are we going to get to go to heaven when this is all said and done? We, we've sung this song here, and we, we'll sing it again, I'm sure. DJ loves it. I love it. It's a great song called Blessed Assurance. I think so many times we get so caught up in blessed assurance that we forget that Jesus is about kingdom advancement that no doubt Jesus came to seek and save the lost and that's what he wants to do in your heart and my heart and your life and my life but then he wants us to join him on mission to seek and save the lost and I think if we're honest what what might be holding us back isn't just fear but it's just the honest truth that if you knew about me what I know about me if if I knew about you what you knew about you If I was aware of your failures and if you were aware of my failures, if we were found out, if those of us who claim Jesus and proclaim our faith were found out, then you might call me and I might call you and people outside these four walls might call us a fraud, hypocrites. Yeah, they say one thing, but they live another way. And can I just confess that, yes, we do. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. This week I'm going to snap at my kids. I'm probably going to be unkind to my wife. 
I'm going to think something I shouldn't think. I'm going to see something I shouldn't see. I'm going to do something I shouldn't do. That's just the reality. And we're all hypocrites. And as we come in the room today, no one's claiming to be perfect. We claim to know the one who was perfect, and we hope to follow him. But the truth is that maybe the one thing that keeps us from advancing the gospel even more than our fear is just our own personal awareness of our failure. And I want to just put that on the table today so we can talk about it. That maybe the one thing that keeps us from being on mission with God and advancing the gospel in our neighborhood, in our work, at our schools, in our community, in the, in the places where we have influence, is not just like we're afraid to talk about Jesus or share the gospel with a friend or invite someone to church, although that is certainly true. But maybe on a deeper level, it's not just that fear, but it's just the knowledge and the awareness that we have of our own failure. So I want to ask you, what is it, what past failure are you most ashamed of? Uh, when our kids were a little bit younger, um, I, I still remember because they had just come out. We, uh, for, I think it was for Christmas, we bought, uh, Alicia bought my wife uh, our very first, you know, iPad in the family. And it was going to be hers. We bought her an iPad and it was super exciting, you know, amazing what you could do with an iPad even in the early days. And I'll never forget, you know how this goes, right? You buy a mom something, you know, like an iPad or whatever, and pretty soon there's more kid apps than there are apps for mom, you know? Like uh, my, my two oldest kids, Will and Ella Grace, got a hold of it, and there's games on there and things that they can do and play. And, and at first it's like, well, it's educational, right? This is really good. They can learn their letters better thanks to this iPad. And uh, all, there's all these games on here we're putting on there for, for Will and for Ella Grace especially. And then one day, it was, I, just, I still remember this, it, it went missing. Where did the iPad go? Hey, Will, where'd the iPad go? I don't know, Dad. Ella Grace, seen the iPad? Nope, which is weird because she knows where everything is, like anytime. <laughs> nope, hadn't seen it. All right. A day goes by, two days go by. No one's seen the iPad. Kids aren't playing on it. It's really strange. Next week, I finally find, find it. It's, it's like buried over against the wall amongst some other toys and things. You can tell it's been kind of shoved up and hidden and covered up. And so I pick it up. I'm like, yay, we found the iPad. I open the cover up and the screen is cracked. Wow. It's our first iPad. We'd spend a lot of money on it, you know. Hey, Ellie Grace, do you know what happened to the iPad? Nope. Don't know. <laughs> to her, she didn't. Will, you know what happened to the iPad? Nope. So the mystery of the cracked ice screen, uh, iPad screen began, right? This is what we do. It starts when we're kids, but even as adults, when we break something, when we do something that we know is wrong, what do we do? We hide it and we cover it up. And some of us in the room are really, really good at hiding things and covering things up. We know what files to delete. We know what lies to tell. We know where to go to and how to do this and how to do that and get around it so no one finds out. We're really good. And our fear is, is that if you knew what I know about me, that you would no longer love me or accept me or even value me. And for a lot of us, the truth is, we feel like if God knew what we've done, that he would no longer love us, accept us, or value us. And this is why I love the story of Moses. Moses was no doubt a man of God. 
He's unquestionably a hero of faith. If you were to, to leave today and go to lunch and ask someone who doesn't go to church here, ask someone that doesn't go to church anywhere, they could probably tell you something about the story of Moses because of what he did. It, it's so epic. Everyone knows part of the story, either about the, the Ten Commandments or crossing the sea or, or the Ten Plagues. People know the story that involved the name and the person and the man of Moses. But Moses was far from perfect. And I love this because God has never been about using perfect people to bring his plans to life. And I want you to know today that if you've got some sort of epic failure in your past, take heart. Because God has never been about using perfect people to bring his plans to life. So we're going to pick up the story of Moses today. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, if you want to open that up and turn that on, we're going to look in Exodus chapter 2. And pick up the story in verse 11. At this point in the story, Moses has now grown up in the house of Pharaoh. If you remember, when he was a baby... There was an order given to kill all the Hebrew-born babies. But his mom and dad put him in a basket in the river. And the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, found him there, took him in, adopted him as her son, gave him an Egyptian name, the name Moses, raised him in in Pharaoh's house as an Egyptian. So Pharaoh Pharaoh has, has raised him. Moses is calling Pharaoh grandpa. He's calling the princess mama, you know. He's grown up eating from Pharaoh's table. He's grown up speaking Egyptian. He's grown up dressing like an Egyptian. And on this particular day, now that he's a grown man, he thinks it'd be a great idea to go take a walk and see how the rest of his people are doing. So in Exodus 2, verse 11, this is what happens. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work during his visit. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Now, I think this is really... Interesting, right? I mean, was Moses really surprised at how hard his people were having to work by the forced labor that was being incurred on them by the Egyptian oppressors? Had he completely lost touch with the reality? Had he lost touch with his mom, with his dad, with his sister Miriam, with his brother Aaron? Had he completely lost connection with everybody and just, just completely unaware of what's going on. So he goes out for a walk one day and he sees an Egyptian beating one of his brothers, a Hebrew, and he's surprised by this. This isn't the message today, but, but I want to just take a moment to acknowledge this truth because I think this is a reality that we have to be aware of. It's true for Moses and it can be true for you and I that when you live in the land of the wealthy and the affluent, it can often make you blind to the oppression of others, especially those closest to you. When you live in the land of the affluent and wealthy, like Moses was, it can often make you blind to the oppression of others, especially those closest to you. Some of you know that in my former life, I was a youth minister, and one of the things I love to do was take students on mission trips. Right now, Grayson is with, and Rhonda are with some of our students in the Dominican Republic serving, and I love that they're, they're doing that. I, I love doing that because anytime I could take students, and, even, and especially their parents, to a third world country and we could spend a week loving and serving the you know, little kids and families who, who may not have as much as we do, who are living in different circumstances and situations than we are. The, the group I brought home was always different than the group I took because their eyes were open and their hearts were touched. And, and, and I love that because they went thinking they had problems, like serious problems, like my parents won't buy me the newest iPhone kind of problems, like real problems. And they get there and they meet children who don't know their parents. 
Or they're really upset because they, every day they have to share a bathroom with their brother or their sister or both, heaven forbid. And then they go see a dorm room where these orphans are living and there's 20 to a bathroom. Or they go visit you know, these people who, are, who have built a church and are worshiping Jesus in this local community. And they go there and they go to their homes and they go to meet them and talk with them and pray with them. And they realize that they have walk-in closets larger and nicer than the entire house this family of six or seven or eight is living in. I mean, you know this is true, but it's easy to lose perspective when you're eating from Pharaoh's table. And this brings up another point, and I'm just going to say this, and, and you know my heart behind it, but I think we have to, I think we have to be aware. Whenever we read the scripture and the story of God, so often we identify with the oppressed, with the people of Israel, with those who are up under it, whatever it is. Sometimes I think we may identify more in this story with the Egyptians or with the oppressor. And sometimes even when we read the story, we have to pause and just repent and be reminded and have perspective. It took Moses seeing one of his fellow brothers beaten up by an Egyptian to wake him up to the reality that was around him. Sometimes I think we have to wake up too to what's going on in the world around us. In verse 12, the story continues, though. After looking, this is what it says. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. So Moses saw something that made him angry, and it should have, right? Injustice should always call us to action. But you and I know, and Moses knew too, by the way, what he did in the moment was incredibly wrong. He he could have chosen a path of courage, but he chose one of cowardice. Moses, let's just be honest. Let's think about this for a second. What were his options? He could have gone home, talked to the princess of Egypt, the woman he called mom, and said, hey, we got to make some changes. He could have walked into Pharaoh's court, the man he called grandpa, and said, hey, is there something we can do to ease the suffering of my people? But what did Moses do? He looked in all directions to make sure no one else was looking, and that's when he took matters into his own hands and became the judge and jury and killed this Egyptian. Why? Why didn't he go back to Pharaoh? Why didn't he go home to mom, try to work this out a better way? Well, that might have put his cushy lifestyle in a little bit of jeopardy, right? The truth is true courage to do the right thing. So many times it means risking your comfort, and it's going to often cost you something significant. And Moses wasn't for a moment willing to give up what he had. He didn't want to do that. So he took matters into his own hands. Easy thing is rarely the right thing. You know this. The hard thing is often the right thing. The next day when Moses went out, verse 13, To visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. So he's gone out again to take a walk. You know, yesterday it was great. Went out. He was good. He did something he thought was good. He was very brave in the moment. You know, helped out his brother Hebrew. Let's go out for another walk today and see what happens. He sees two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. Moses is feeling pretty pumped up at this moment, right? I mean... Clearly because of his position and power and and where he lives and the way he was raised, he's got prestige, he's got status, he's better than these Hebrews. (laughs) It's a good thing we never think of ourselves as better than others. Uh, Verse 14, the man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? 
Are you going to kill me just as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. Uh Uh-oh. Moses thought his secret was a secret, but he was found out. Have you ever been found out? Moses thought no one knew. Turns out everybody knows. And automatically he feels afraid. Last night, uh, me and Will were getting ready to watch uh, the Rangers game because Beltre is going for 3,000 and he didn't get it yet, but he's going to get it today. Amen. And um, as we're watching the game before that game, there's one of those commercials. You've seen this commercial a thousand times where it's uh, there. And some of you, if you're in the medical field, I, I can only imagine these commercials drive you insane. But they, they, they're, they're advertising a new drug that's going to, you know, make your life so much better. And they have this person. You know this is true because there's a person, an actor, dressed up as a doctor telling you it's true. So it's got to be true. And uh, then at the very end, you know how the commercial goes, right? At the very end, there's fine print flash on the screen. And the person talking to you, their voice goes like 90 miles an hour. And they remind you of all the possible side effects should you choose to take this wonderful drug that's going to change your life. You know, things like if you're pregnant, your baby could be born with three eyes. No big deal. Uh, you know, if you have heart problems, your could spontaneously combust, but you should take this anyway. You know, all the side effects are revealed at the very, very end as quickly as possible because they have to do that in order to advertise this drug, but they don't want you to really know what might happen. They just want you to buy it and take it, right? You know what the side effect of sin is? Fear. Fear. Moses sins. He kills a man. He's found out He's held accountable for it. And what does he experience as soon as he realizes that his private sin has become public knowledge? Fear. Fear. Sin will always, get this, sin will always make you afraid. The side effect of sin is always fear. Verse 15. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened. So what did Pharaoh do? He tried this before, so he's going to try it again. He tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Pharaoh's probably thinking, I knew I should have killed him 40 years ago when she brought him home. (laughs) And so he's going after Moses again to kill him. And all of a sudden, because of Moses' sin that led to incredible fear, now he's going to flee. He's going to run away. And some of you have experienced this too in your own life because this is what sin does. Sin isolates you. It makes you incredibly lonely. And it puts you on the run. This is what sin does. It isolates It makes you feel incredibly alone. In fact, one of Satan's favorite lies whenever he catches you in his snare, so to speak, is what? You're the only one. Whatever it is you did, whatever it is you've done, you're the only one. No one else has done something like that. You're the only one. He just perpetuates that lie and makes you feel incredibly alone. So what do you do? What do you do when you're found out? What do you do when you realize you're caught? And do you go on the run? 
What I love about the story of Moses is it paints this very honest picture that there are incredible men and women of faith throughout the story of God who were so far from perfect and who experienced epic failure. But as Jason said so profoundly before we began, they weren't defined by their failure. Instead, they were defined by the grace and the mercy of God. And what you and I know is as a story continues, what's going to happen is God is going to do incredible things through this man who has now experienced an epic failure and thought that his life was over. And it's a reminder to me that, you know, God doesn't judge your life on the merit of one moment and that your, your most recent lapse in judgment isn't how God is going to judge or define your life. When I was a kid growing up um, in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama, there was a preacher in a nearby city who had a pretty epic failure. I, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, you don't have to go looking very hard or very long to find stories of people, either preachers, people that do what I do who have experienced epic failure, or Christian leaders in the business world who spoke loudly about their faith and then experienced major failure, or coaches. We've heard a story recently along those lines. It happens almost every day. When I was growing up, there was this guy I knew who was a preacher in a nearby city, and sure enough, he had an epic failure in his own life. And I won't tell you what he did because did, it really doesn't matter, but what I remember that story isn't what he did so much, and it really wasn't about what the media said he did. It was what happened next. The very next Sunday after his epic failure was made public, his private sin was made public knowledge, that very next Sunday, people that came to that church came back to that church like they came every Sunday. And as they came to worship that day, the first thing they noticed that was different was that the people who normally were the door holders and greeters, the welcome team, they had been given the day off. And at every entrance to that building that day was one of the elders and their wives, one of the shepherds and their spouses. And they stood at each entrance, and at each entrance they stood there, and what they held in their hand was a basket, and the basket was full of rocks. And as everybody came to church that day, and they came in to worship, they were given a rock. And after a few songs were sung, the elders of that church got up on stage, and they reminded the church at the time of that story of Jesus. When this woman who had been caught in sin, if you remember the story in John, was brought right before Jesus, exposed her private sin, made public knowledge, embarrassed. And they reminded the church of Jesus' words in that moment. As he told that religious crowd, hey, whoever it is among you, whoever, let he who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And of course, everybody dropped their stones and walked away. I've always loved that story because I feel like that's a picture of what the church should be like every Sunday, right? Like, this is a church where if you are a sinner, you're welcome because we're all sinners. This is a church where failures are welcome because guess what? We are all failures. This is a place where if you don't have it all together and you've experienced failure, epic or not, in your life, we are glad you're here. You are among friends because we want to, 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 to say out loud, 
that none of us is perfect, that all of us are far from perfect, and that your past failure doesn't define or determine your future. God does. You are not defined by your most recent failure. You and I, we get to be defined by the grace of God because of what Jesus Christ has done on and through the cross. What Moses does next After he runs away, he runs away to Midian. He runs off to the desert to be alone. And it's there in the desert where he's there, isolated from everything else, that God comes and meets him where he is, as he is, and tells him, I've got bigger plans for you. Your story isn't over. In fact, it's just getting started. And some of you today may feel like your story is over, but God says it's just getting started. And what's so cool, and some of you know this because you're this way or you know people like this, is that it's often that, that God uses your, your past failure and he allows you to leverage that to benefit others later in more ways than you could ever dream or imagine to advance the gospel and share the story of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. But to do that requires a little bit of courage. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. The truth is, and we've said this before and we'll say it again, that there is nothing you could ever do that would make God love you less. We know this is true because as Jesus was taken to the cross and crucified, some of the last words that those who were there that day heard him say were these words, Father, forgive them. Forgive them even though in this moment They don't know what they do. Even though their lives are filled with sin. Even though they are a people of epic failure. (laughs) Father, forgive them. Because even when you crucified Jesus, there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. And this morning as we talk about being people of courage, men and women of courage, what I want to ask you to do is to have the courage to allow your epic failure not to be a story of your epic failure, but to allow your epic failure to be a story of God's grace. Uh, We're going to sing a song. I want to ask our shepherds and their wives to make themselves available around the room. What I'd love to see happen is, as we sing this song, if you want to experience God's grace in your life this morning, just find some of them and pray with them. Pray with them. And ask God to allow your story not to be a story of epic failure, but to be a story of God's amazing grace. You can run and hide from your past, but you can't hide your past from God. And what God wants to do is to take your past and transform it into a story of his love. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus. This is why we gather every week. We gather to be reminded that none of us are perfect. In fact, we're far from perfect. But we're all standing and breathing today because of Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy toward each one of us. And even when we fail, he will never fail in his love, in his mercy, his compassion towards us. Let's sing.